0: Our mission is to discuss extraction, processing, business practices, and lessons learned with the established experts of the extraction process. This is Mission Supercritical, a service of Apex Supercritical, the leading CO2 extraction equipment manufacturer. Now, here to navigate our broadcast is a U.S. Navy veteran and the founder and president of Apex Supercritical. Andy Joseph.
1: Okay, welcome to Mission Supercritical, exclusive radio show that highlights the extraordinary individual success stories of Apex Supercriticals, more than 500 customers operating in the cannabis industry today. I'm your host, Andy Joseph, president and founder of Apex Supercritical. Thanks for joining us. Today's guest, Dean Curtin, founder and head of LA operations and, and uh, all of California operations for that matter for Eureka Vapor. Welcome to the show, Dean. Thank you, guys.
2: Pleasure to be on.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so you know, you, you said you're the, the founder of the LA operations. Is that imply that There are other operations in California, besides just the uh, the LA group.
2: Well, the LA group, and then we expanded it to Denver, Colorado, as you know, um, and we're soon in talks with uh, Seattle and Nevada, so nice. Washington State, and um, hopefully it will be a nice ending to the summer, starting and off in the beginning and. And you'll know because we'll be buying more equipment.
1: <laughs> fantastic, fantastic! Yeah, so so Eureka is a is a you know it's a national company now, not just California. Um, but you guys got your start there in, in LA and in, in California. Um, tell me a little bit about you know kind of yourself and, and what you did before Eureka Vapor and then how you found yourself in the cannabis industry.
2: Um, before I did Eureka Vapor, I was in the nightclub bar business. Uh, restaurants um, was a family business for a long time. Did that for many years, and for a while it was always in the cannabis business, uh, it was always around cannabis. And as the rules and everything kind of changed in California in the early 2007s, market changed and actually had storefronts and dispensaries, it uh, paved the new way. And then we went to Colorado as they were opening up and seeing what the regulations would be and ended up starting off in Los Angeles. Because right, we've just right. seen it as a big market. And uh, California being very open to it was a good place to begin this.
1: So, you know, this uh, this, this might be a scratch, but you don't sound like you're from California. Where are uh, you from originally?
2: I'm, I'm from New York originally. Um was born there uh, was always back and forth with California and pretty much fell in love with it as most people do and made this my home probably over eight years ago
1: eight years okay all right and so so you're in uh, you're in New York you're running nightclubs doing bars uh, there's there's probably an underground you know cannabis uh, operations or society going on there but you find yourself in California and uh, at the time, eight years ago, that was Wild West. Um, you know, when when did you guys actually create Eureka uh, as a brand and and start start marketing it?
2: Well, the idea and everything going started in 2010, and the actual launch of the company was the year of 2011. And um, we seen, I was actually in Queens Mall, and I seen a guy selling an e-cigarette vapor when they first came out. And I joked with my friend, I said, who cares about the e-cigarette and the cigarette part? I go, put marijuana in that and you got a gold mine. And (laughs) from there, it was an idea. And then so happened to run into people um, that were involved in the industry and kind of had the same idea, but a lot more um, head start. And we were going to work with them, but we all decided to go our own ways. And I slowly started from the ground up with my family, Eureka. And it was a long, hard journey. Like you said, it was the wild west. So there was ups, downs, laws ever changing. And especially for what we did, there was no written manuscript or laws for us to operate. So you didn't know what were the guidelines. And we went down the CO2 route for extraction because we felt that was the safest and uh, easiest to explain. And then we fell in love with it.
1: Nice, nice, nice. So, yeah, 2010, 2011, I mean, you guys, you had to be one of the the first uh, marijuana vaporizer, uh, you know, the the extracted oil vaporizer type anyway. Uh, You had to be one of the first companies doing that.
2: Yeah, we were one of the first, definitely in the top five. Um, I think Old Pen was the first real big name one. And then we were originally going to work with them, but we went our own way. And um, then we started Eureka. So about there, because I'd say, you know, 2011 was the beginning of it. I'd say most other people didn't get to the market about 2013 range.
1: Right. And then right, later and so
2: on now. It's uh, boom! Everybody's got one.
1: So yeah, right, exactly. So vape pens are obviously uh, super pos- popular now, and and you guys were on the the cutting edge of of putting things together. Tell me about some of the the early trials and tribulations that you ran through, ran into. Uh, you know, between vape pen hardware and and you know extraction and processing and stuff like that. What were some of the challenges you had back then?
2: Uh, some of the challenges was uh, the first groups that we bought machinery from didn't know, you know, they knew the machinery, they knew, I guess from the old world, it was hops and other things, but they didn't understand um, the cannabis aspect of it. So we were given wrong temperatures and wrong, you know, pressures and all of this different info and even pieces of equipment that were not dependable. So as time went on, we learned from our mistakes to change things and uh, eventually then meeting Andy, Helped us out a lot on the CO two aspect, but everybody forgets. They think the CO two machine does it all. Majority of the time, you still have to do a post process where you're filtering and removing and cleaning all of the different byproducts out of the oil.
1: Right, right, and that's yeah. So you know, you guys, you guys started out, and uh, you, you actually did quite a bit of uh, you know customization, I suppose, to some of your. Early extraction systems, even before the ones that uh, the, the position where you're modifying CO2 extraction systems?
2: Well, that was more on the fly. Um, I have some guys on my team that have been with me from the start, um, pretty much family, that they are very brilliant men. And with us three together, we became a very problem solver because with machines and equipment, there's problems, and you always need to be prepared for them to happen, to fix things, to make sure that the product comes out the same every time. And like you said, in the earlier years, uh, the vape hardware was not designed at all for this. And that was the only real hardship in the beginning, was that oil and hash oil wasn't designed for an e-juice pen, so it didn't burn right, and those were a lot of things that we had to learn as we went along. and sometimes there were costly mistakes, but if you uh, regroup, figure out what the mistake is and move on, you get back to where you were trying to be, you know? And that's what would happen a lot with the newer hardware, but even the CO2 machines, you know, we grew with the ever changing market as Andy knows. And most people that would be listening would understand that before the research that was put into the cannabis plant now, you know, we were doing a lot of guesstimates. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. <laughs>
1: right, right. That's exactly. So I, I remember going back, uh, you know, when when the very first time that uh, that we started talking with and, and your brother Dylan, um, you know, one of yeah. one of your brothers here anyway, you know, he was obviously one of your uh, one of your family members that was partnered up with you here. He's actually running the the Colorado operation now,
2: right? Yes. And helped me uh, expand to Nevada, and it's been a family duo from the get-go. We've, you know, always worked together, and we have that, you know, the yin yang thing. Each one of us are very good at our departments, and you know, pretty much build a good quality team under us to handle each area. You know, Uh, it's. Just like any other business, everybody sees one part, but there's a lot of parts behind it. From, right, right. You know, you know, Andy, to just get one machine out, you know, what, 18 employees to, to just get that one machine out, and you have yep. to get five, six, seven out. So the amount of employees just raise up, and it's a lot of different um, ways of life and operators that, you know, have their own... Ways of doing things, so sure. You know, well, and,
1: and, the, and just the differences between California and Colorado, for that matter. You know, I mean, uh, you know what you guys did in California, and, and you know operating in a, the real gray area and figuring out some of the the technical challenges of CO two extraction and vape pin hardware. Um, but then, you know, going to Colorado, I, I remember we we ran into you know a specific situation where you know the machines you had built in California you couldn't take to Cal- you couldn't take to Colorado because of the Colorado regulations required the engineering peer mm. review and, and all these different problems. So yeah, it, it's, those are, those are some interesting challenges you guys are coming through for sure. Uh, Dean, let's, let's take a quick break. When we uh, come back, I want to okay. talk about some of the, the technical stuff, you know, some of the, uh, the the cool unique stuff that Eureka does that makes you guys' pens better than everybody else's. So let's uh, take okay. a quick break. We'll come back. We'll
0: regroup for more mission super critical after we hear from our sponsors. in as little as four weeks, bringing CO2 extraction to the masses. Learn more at apeksupercritical.com. Four-week build excludes high production systems.
3: The smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network. CannabisRadio.com
0: Time to extract more knowledge on Mission Supercritical. Only on CannabisRadio.com
1: Okay, welcome back to Mission Supercritical. Again, today's guest, Dean Curtin, the founder and head of LA Operations for Eureka Vapor. Uh, so Dean, along with your brother Dylan, you guys—you uh, guys are Eureka Vapor. You've been around for since 2001 or 2011, um, making making cool vape pens. Um, you guys have any products other than than vape vape pens?
2: We uh, feed a lot of um, edible companies, uh, different ones, uh, Medi-Zen, um different other brands. Uh, we also helped a lot of brands when they didn't have equipment uh, with oil. white label as they call it Um, and pretty much we just became a big oil production whether you wanted it for yourself and you gave us product and we returned it to um, you know you didn't have anything and we just supplied you you know and we looked to make a big factory that's kind of what the game was and growing this business because we've seen oil as the future.
1: Right, right. And it's, yeah. And you guys are, you know, you're on the, the cutting edge of it back in the day. So, you know, now here you are five, six, seven years later uh, doing a combination of, you know, wholesale production, making something for your own brand and your own products, doing white label. You know, a lot of people trying to get in the industry nowadays and a lot of people thinking about it. You know, if, if you had to, to kind of pick and choose which one you would rather do, what's what's better, maybe pros and cons wholesale versus you know creating your own product versus white label which one's better which one's worse
2: that's a good question um i like it it's pretty much it's a hard one to split down which one's better and all of that of course when you make a brand and you break down the product into increments where it's a higher um, value of dollars for sold it does seem more interesting but in the back end of it there's a Ton more work you're trying to run let's say a restaurant you know and if you are the chef you can't be a waiter you can't be all of the things under one roof so to get different people to handle departments expands your capabilities but in the sense that you're saying which one's better it really depends on the person who wants to go after the goal I liked doing both Um, you know making the brand, doing that, and also helping others because, yeah, I prefer to do both ends of it because it expands your brand, even if it's not under your name. It's uh, other corporations that use your product or your oil, your base. And to me, that is a bigger company. Um, Brands also take a lot of time and money to build and expand and a name is very hard because you have to, to continuously give the customer the same product. So I've seen a lot of people go to the bigger factories where they're just making the product and letting everybody else do the branding.
1: Right, right. So, you know, wholesale it's the age-old problem. This isn't this isn't, you know, unique to cannabis, but you know, the wholesale allows you to generally have a, a large enough processing operation the, to be able to, to justify bigger, more fancy pieces of equipment, more employees, automation, things like that. Whereas, you know, supporting your own brand may not produce enough oil um, to, to justify some of the things. And so you get into this problem where you, you spend money on marketing or you spend money on equipment, you know, and wholesale is generally a, a nice bridge between the two. What, what percentage of Eureka is, is wholesale oil versus um, going to your, your own brand?
2: Um, it, it flip flops monthly, but I would say probably you know it's thirty percent sometimes forties, you know, and it's a good part because it makes sure that I never have anything left over.
1: Right, right. So you always always got an avenue to go. So how about you know some of the uh, some of the, the the challenges on the secondary processing side? You know, you guys you talked about you know some of the filtering and things like that after the extraction. Um, do you guys you guys prefer kind of the uh, the distillation product line uh, versus the the more I'm gonna call it you know, whole plant extraction um, you know full full spectrum extraction kind of thing where it's a little less processed but may have um, darker qualities to it. What, which way do you guys prefer to go, or do you have both?
2: We kind of do. Uh, well, not kind of. We do do both. We do a full spectrum um, extraction uh, a lot of times of the. Uh, Full on popcorn of the flower, and we then do a post process of winterization, like most people do. But we have a few things and stuff that we've built in our area, um, in our labs that, you know, are a little different than others, and that's what gives us a little cutting edge. And we can really take from any product and clean it up to any color spectrum and even working with uh, pesticide problems now. Well, have been for a while, and as the whole industry is, and getting all of these nasty pesticides out Right. Is right. another process. So yep. there's a multiple filtration afterwards as you get your crude, but if you dial the machines in and you put in very good product, you don't lose or have to deal with um, a lot of... Uh, redoing of the filtration if you start with a very good product too.
1: Yep. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, the, the, it's kind of the age old, you know, shit in, shit out kind of thing. You know, if if you, if you run the machine and and you you put garbage material in there, you're going to get garbage crude to start with, and you've got to spend a lot of time doing your filtering process and your secondary processing like that. What, what percentage of of your product line goes towards, I I think you call it amber, right? Your full spectrum um, extract is a amber uh, disposable is the name of it. What percentage is Amber versus Clear uh, of your sales?
2: Well, the uh, market has changed a lot. Uh, the Amber now we're going to be calling the original. And um, now, as in the last year and a half, two years, everybody's been on the distillation, distillate, um, Clear, uh, you know, that process, which we've seen our shift to market literally about over about six or more is clear now and Amber or the original has come down. But I feel in the next coming market with um, recreational coming adult use that the Amber or the original line will come back a lot because a lot of the newer smokers aren't going to want something that is, you know, 80% and above, they're going to want a more milder, those so they can enjoy it, so we feel that the full spectrum amber is a true uh, product to the plant. We right. still huh. taste all of the natural terpenes. there's nothing added to it, nothing taken out of it except for fats and uh, plant matter, but all of the natural cannabis that is extracted out of it stays with it. right right you know the it's original sure. is misunderstood. And in, in my <laughs> eyes, they don't realize yeah, that no, I, you, I have original oil at 82%. It might be <laughs> a little more gold. It might not be see-through, but to me, that's what I prefer.
1: Right, right. Yeah. And that, uh, yeah, that, that definitely, it seems like, you know, we, everybody pushed as hard as they could to get THC levels as high as they possibly could. And then realized that, you know, the trade off to having a 99% THC is that there's nothing else in it. Right to mm-hmm. allow for flavor or experience or mood or aroma or any of that kind of stuff. It's just THC. So yeah, I, yeah. I, I agree. I think the the market is is you know the pendulum has swung kind of too far the, the other direction, and hopefully it's starting to come back a little bit here. You uh, you made a comment earlier that uh, you know you kind of fell in love with CO2. Tell me why.
2: Well, um, I just wait. Say that again. Uh,
1: CO2. What do you what do you like about CO2?
2: Well, what I like about CO2, and it's always been a back and forth between, you know, um, hydrocarbons and CO2, and then you have ethanol wash in there, that you do get a whole end of the, you know, cannabis taste, flavoring, total different spectrum than you do with these other ways. And, you know, hydrocarbons, you do pull out a certain terpene base that you don't with CO2. But if CO2 is done right and you do it as a stripping process and then do your extraction, you're get more um, terpenes with CO2, ones that, you know, we haven't even really gotten experience in parts of the plant. And that's what we're finding out.
1: Right, right. So you're, you're finding, you know, even though you're doing secondary processing to it, the, the, the CO2 process is bringing out a better initial, as you refer to it as a crude or, or starting product. That allows you to you know, create a ultimately a, a better end product through less secondary processing. Is that the best way yeah. to say it?
2: Yeah, yeah. It, it seems to um, give us uh, like I show people my crude with one-time winterization, and like I can make with uh, filtering just that our oil look straight like a distillate because. Of different hydrocarbons have different reactions with the plant, you know. So color pigment, and you know this, Andy. Every bit of this plant is all about temperature control, and right. one offset of the temperature can change the look of something instantly.
1: Right? Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. So how about uh, how about terpenes? You guys. Uh you guys finding that uh, the, the craze for terpenes here recently is making you uh, reconstitute terpenes from the extraction or artificial terpenes? Um, what's your guys' position on that?
2: Well, um, we go to a plant-based terpenes. Terpenes aren't just to a cannabis plant. Terpenes mm-hmm. have been in many things over many years that we've all had as regular products, you know, especially when you have an orange-flavored soda. You know, the basis of that is somehow, somewhere a terpene. And with terpenes being a way of plants communication and you know, identity, uh, we've seen that we've been taking a lot of the plants that we've always extract from getting that identity because cost effect, you know, you get a thimble out of a lot of marijuana, terpenes. Yeah. So we take that identity and we reprint it, but we use only plant based. We don't do artificial where, you know, if you notice in our flavors, it's never a cotton candy. It's never, a, you know, Jolly Rancher flavor. It's right. a true cannabis flavor. And the reason why is we, we take the test that shows us all of the levels of the terpenes and we make it exactly that way. Now, we've been playing with making pure cannabis terpenes and trying to make it cost effective so everybody can really, truly taste it. And that's where I say the amber, a lot of people don't look at, is true terpenes. Right. Uh, serpenes in that oil, the regular amber original oil is terpenes from the plant, right. not from right. the orange plant, the lemon plant or any of these other ones. It's from the cannabis plant. So that's why I feel as people learn this, they'll go back to it and more of it's a milder daytime, you know, as you do things and you know, the high potency clear or distillate would be your crazier weekend get <laughs> right. you now the best or, to or maybe it, you, know. Tell you to sleep too right? you know that's possible <laughs> yeah it does it to me, uh-uh. it <laughs> it to me sometimes. Right. right
1: exactly all right so hey dean we're gonna uh, we're gonna take another quick break uh when we come Here back sir. you know you, you've been in california eight years you've you've seen the the marijuana craziness or revolution i guess we'll call it come through um we'll come back i want to talk about california today and you know we're, it's it's kind of the epicenter of activity here this year with with California coming on for for recreational. Let's uh, let's chat about some of the the interesting stuff that's going on in California when we come back.
0: We'll regroup for more Mission Super Critical after we hear from our sponsors.
3: be no crime hemp ink is even hot proved by the man who run high times oh yeah get it on android and i and ios today marijuana llama
0: out got to tend to me on crops channel. You know. money don't make itself hemp ink
1: StrainWise consulting is the most sought after consulting company for cannabis business applications and management contracts we consulted on the first recreational license in the world
0: DrainWise Consulting has the experience and
3: expertise to guide you through the process. Are you ready to be inspired and educated by the best of the best in the cannabis industry while enjoying sunny South Florida? Then you cannot miss out on the first annual United States Cannabis Conference and Expo August 24th to the 26th inside the Hyatt Regency in downtown Miami. The USCC Expo welcomes all cannabis business professionals, medical cannabis caregivers and clinicians, growers and dispensary owners to join us for this brand new event sponsored by the radio podcast leader for all things cannabis. CannabisRadio.com Be one of the first to register today at USCCExpo.com That's USCCExpo.com
0: Time to extract more knowledge on Mission Supercritical. Only on CannabisRadio.com Okay,
1: welcome back to Mission Supercritical. Dean Curtin, founder Eureka Vapor. Uh, so California for eight years and, you know, just, uh, just passed recreational last year, or I guess it was two years ago now, year and a half. But, uh, you know, laws are in place. The, the market's real. Um, licensing is, is a bit of a challenge. Uh, recently read an article that, that everybody's moving out of LA, you know, running from LA because, uh, LA has got licensing all screwed up. But your uh, what's your take on things? What's your read on the situation?
2: Uh, it's, it's, um, it's crazy. Uh, a little bit all over the place you know miscommunication um you got two sides of the fence trying to come together on things so you know um and government and politics is always a slow roll unfortunately and it hurts for the taxpayers because as operations are trying to get up and running it's one less dollar that they're going to collect from this adult use but we have to do it where we fit into regulation and learn their ways, and do it under the proper supervision of the state. So it takes a long time and people thought it was going to be a flip of a switch. And Colorado went through these things. You know, we've heard the scares in Nevada where there was not enough product on the shelf. Right. And, you know, it's going to happen as every state keeps going and as, um, it moves through the market. They go from the medical to the recreational and, uh, we are navigating now moving out of LA. Yes. I've seen a lot of people running scared and I don't blame them. It's, uh, kind of hard to afford to keep the doors open when you don't know how long you have to keep your doors open without putting business through it or even starting your build out, right. which can get very costly and, uh, time consuming. So, I, I've, you know, I've looked, I've gotten other locations and other places with licensing because of the craziness of LA, but LA has been my home. So I really don't want to leave it, but you know, LA city is really unsure how to do it. And it's a hard thing, so I'm not going to knock anybody. It's not, like I said, a flip of a switch but it's really hurting jobs and business. You know, I've yeah. had to let some people go because I'm not sure if one of those operations will continue.
1: Right. Right. So yeah, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a struggle and, and, you know, it's, it's a, it's a different kind of struggle than what Colorado went through because, you know, in California it's been, you know, quote unquote legal for a long time. There's operations and I mean, there's a, there's an entire marketplace that is California but now you're trying to convert the existing marketplace into a newly regulated marketplace marketplace. And and you've got the the same trials and tribulations that Colorado saw five years ago, right? But you guys are trying to put them in and not kill the existing marketplace at the same time. That's a huge challenge. I mean, I I just, I can't imagine the the constant change, you know, the the wondering what's going to happen next and who's going to do stuff. Um, so that's, I, I don't I don't envy you on that one. When do you think it's gonna settle down?
2: Hmm. Good question. Um, I know the council goes to meeting I think next Friday. Um, I, I believe so, I gotta check my calendar, but they're gonna go to finally go for phase two because you had Measure M come into California, well, Los Angeles. And with the adult use, Measure M uh, was gonna slowly push out Prop D and all the 215 rules, which meant structuring the businesses was very different and zoning. And with zoning became a problem because it was very little bit in the market that you can actually get a building that fit their criteria. And they changed that criteria a few times. So, you know, some people thought they were in the zone, some people realized it later. And I and my group have gotten buildings in the zone, but now it's a waiting game. that When can we start? When can we hand in applications? Most of the city of LA that isn't a Prop D compliant dispensary or a pre ICO yep. would not be allowed to operate. So that took down grows, uh, manufacturing edibles, all of the backbone of the industry into a stalemate where they're not sure what to do. And I know people like myself that are struggling with it. You know, it's a lot of, um, hard times, but you got to stick. We made it this far and I go stop now and yeah, work right, with the right. cities and work with the people. You know, we're open. And that's one thing with the cannabis business. We're open to do good business, bring in good tax, tax revenue and show that we're part of the community. Right and you know not just for the fun of recreational medical it's still good so a lot of medical patients aren't getting medicine and products because of this stalemate is the best right. way to say it.
1: So is uh, so you know your your brother Dylan's in Colorado. Uh, you guys just opened up out there what year and a half maybe two years ago now.
2: Uh, I think, yeah a little over two.
1: So is he is he is it better? Uh, you know, they seem to have a more stable, um, you know, regulations and 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 operating plan. But is it uh, is it better or worse?
2: Compare and contrast. Oh, it's better. It's better. Yeah, I like. I prefer it better. I go over there and it's a breath of fresh air. Um, you know, it's written in fine law. What you can do, what you can't do. Um, yeah. The taxes and the way of operations is all understood. You know, it's regular business, just like when I used to be in the bar and the nightclub business. It was, you know, open your doors, you do this, you follow your rules, make sure you do your procedures, and you can continue doing business.
1: Right, right. And and in, you know, Seattle, so Nevada makes a ton of sense too. You know, I, I see why you would be interested in Nevada. Um, you know, those guys, those guys seem to be really, really um, business friendly and pushing the stuff but Seattle's interesting you know you read a lot about uh, you know Washington, Oregon being just saturated with, with material and prices plummeting and, and over over um, supply of, of material and stuff why, why Seattle? why would you want to enter Seattle at this point or Washington at this point?
2: well um, like you said building a brand um, you gotta get your footprint everywhere you know if I only sell in California people in Washington a legal state will only know if they travel here and if I get my footprint as far as I can, that makes the brand's mark a little stronger. And um, you know, it's also the rules, you cannot cross state lines with these products. Right. You know, that day it comes, I can open up anywhere just like an Amazon does and you know, send it all over the country. But right now you have to stay within your state and follow the guidelines. So every time you have to start an operation from scratch.
1: But and so you know the Ohio guy here on the uh, on the interviewing side of this thing says you know when you come into the East Coast man you're you're from
2: New York what why aren't you <laughs> on
1: the East Coast yet man?
2: Working on it. It's um East Coast is not that open to it, but we're working on it. We're working on something in Florida, uh, a nice big project. I don't want to say too much, but you know, looking forward to it. And uh I'm actually in talks with two people with Jersey and. Um, Massachusetts, but you know, it's very hard because it's you need sometimes with the rules, of, of, you know, somebody that's local there, so you're meeting new people, you don't know how you guys are going to pan out, and it's a marriage, you know, you gotta yep. see if that person works right for you so that the business gets done good and you make a good product. Yep, so there's yep. a lot of complications besides just regular. Rules and regulations with a city or state, it's the actual people that you do business with.
1: right and uh, and we all we all look forward to the date when we can ship across state lines, but uh, you know we all, we all recognize the trials and tribulations of of you know being able to ship across street, state lines. Um, you know the challenges that, that brings as well. but um, no that's uh, that's that's good. So so California, East Coast, you got a lot of plans good luck with everything. I, you know, I think, uh, you guys got a great product and, you know, it's awesome being able to, uh, you know, see somebody who was in it at, at, at you know, kind of the ground floor day, day one operations, build a brand and, and continue along. It's, it's entrepreneur's dream, as I said for a long time about this, but, uh, Dean, if, if somebody wanted to find Eureka vapor or wanted to get a hold of you to talk to you more about your product, how might they, uh, how might they find Eureka and you?
2: Well, um, best way would be to, you know, uh, contact eurekavapor.com check out the website you can contact us through one of the portals there um, at eurekavapor for Instagram Uh, Instagram is a big way social media and uh, any one of those lines would actually get you directly to me and uh, we definitely always like hearing people's stories ourselves helping people in the industry because it is a big market, and it's only getting bigger.
1: Yep, definitely. All right, awesome. Hey, thanks, Dean. I, I appreciate you taking a few minutes to uh, to be on our show here today. And for uh, listeners out there, look for other Mission Supercritical shows to learn more about Apex Supercriticals, over 500 customers, including Dean, operating in the cannabis industry today. Hope you can join us. Until then, happy extracting. <laughs>